and that despite all of the issues that we've had in the past, that you actually still have a very strong Indigenous community across Australia today. And it's recognising the fact that we're still here, we've survived, and it's uh, something that we're moving into the future with. My name is Xavier Zar, CEO of FedSquare, and welcome to the latest episode of Anything FedSquare. It was supposed to be NADOC week at FedSquare, but due to the fluid situation of COVID-19, the official NADOC week celebrations have been pushed back to November. We look forward to that. However, we still want to recognise the occasion on our virtual square. Joining us today is Koori Heritage Trust CEO, Tom Mosby. Tom is here to discuss the reopening of the trust, their ambitions at FedSquare to grow and to prosper, and the continuing impact of current and historical racism and what we can do here at FedSquare about that. Please grab a cuppa and enjoy. My name is Tom Mosby. I'm the CEO of the Koori Heritage Trust here at Federation Square. The land on which we are meeting today, Tom, is the land of the Kulin Nation. Always was, always will be. And for me, the presence of the Koori Heritage Trust here is not just symbolic, but a real manifestation of the significance of Indigenous culture to this site. Perhaps I could ask you to describe your ambitions for the ability of the KHT to tell its story here. We at the Koori Heritage Trust, we recognise that these are the lands of the Bunurung and the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. And when we actually acknowledge country, we acknowledge both the Bunurung and Wurundjeri whose land borders each other and both of them are members of the, um, the Greater Kulin Nation. For us, Federation Square has become the cultural destination in Melbourne, if not in Victoria, and I believe it's a very important, um, very important destination in that respect because you have two of the key cultural pillars, being the National Gallery of Victoria and the uh, Australian Centre for the Moving Images, ACME, as well here. I think one of the things that has been missing for a very long time since Federation Square was created was that Indigenous presence. You have of course, fantastic programs and exhibitions that happen at the NGV and at ACME, but it's a much more generic, general program, Indigenous program, whereas the Koori Heritage Trust is very much about celebrating, promoting and supporting the fact that you have a very distinct community here in Victoria and it's a community that's very distinct from the rest of Australia. And so the location of the Koori Heritage Trust here at Federation Square and for us becoming that third cultural pillar becomes really important because it is a recognition of the fact that you have a very strong contemporary community here in Victoria. So I'm really glad you touched on that concept of a third equal and and prominent cultural pillar here at Federation Square. We certainly consider ourselves to be the, the cultural and civic meeting place for Melbourne and that would not be a vision realised without a, a very strong Indigenous cultural presence. Before we talk about your future plans, could you spend a moment telling us about 
the, the history of the Koori Heritage Trust and what brought you here? So the trust was initially set up by a group of um, people in 1985, Uncle Jim Berg, uh, who was a key and still is a key um, elder in the Aboriginal community, was very concerned about the fact that there was the sale of Aboriginal artefacts and skeletal remains being removed from the state, together with two lawyers at the time, um, Ron Merkel, and Ron Caston, and Ron Caston is important because Ron was also the on the legal team representing and supporting um, Marbo in the Marbo case, and so you had um, these three men who came together and set up the Koori Heritage Trust back in 1985. Initially, it was all about preserving and protecting Aboriginal artefacts and preventing the removal of Aboriginal artefacts from the state, including purchasing material as well. The trust was located in the Museum of Victoria at the time. It then was preparing to move to a purpose-built building and unfortunately that building burnt down and the trust then bought another building in King Street and moved into King Street and this was around 1992. I came on board as a CEO in 2012 and at the time the board recognised that we were in an area of Melbourne that wasn't the best. We weren't attracting the visitors that we required and also physically but also mentally we felt that we were on the fringe of the city and for us as Aboriginal Indigenous people we've always been on the fringe of the community and so fortunately for us at the time when we started to look at okay let's start moving into a more central location the Yarra building came up as a potential site we spoke with Federation Square and the rest is history we moved here in 2015 and we haven't looked back. It's just been a fantastic opportunity for the Trust as an organisation, but also representing Victorian Aboriginal communities as well. From my perspective, I think uh, I know that the Koori Heritage Trust completes uh, the, the square because this is the cultural um, and civic sort of heart of Melbourne and it would be deficient uh, without that. We've talked about a growing Indigenous cultural presence and experience here at the square. What are your plans? At the moment, as you know, we occupy two floors of a three-floor building and the opportunity for us now is to actually take over the third floor and creating a standalone Aboriginal cultural centre. So you have the National Gallery of Victoria at one end of the square, you have ACME on one side of the plaza and for us it's actually creating this Aboriginal centre on the other side of the plaza. That's our ambition, is to actually take over the three floors. The opportunity I would like to also see is, um, because there are other tenancy within the building itself, is the possibility of other Aboriginal organisations moving into the building, including possible Indigenous food offer. Because for us, we can actually offer that cultural destination in terms of having exhibitions, putting on our public programs, which we do quite successfully. We run walking tours along the river. We have Aboriginal cultural awareness training. We have temporary exhibitions as well as exhibitions of our permanent collection as well. So it's creating that whole Indigenous experience.
Tom, the growth of the Curry Heritage Trust before our very eyes um, is obvious and your support is growing. Perhaps you'd like to talk about the recognition and support you're gathering. Even going back a step, one of the things I'm very proud of is the fact that I mentioned we were set up in 1985. In 2015, we moved to Federation Square in time for celebration of our 30th anniversary. 2020 will be 35 years of the Koori Heritage Trust operating in Victoria. And I think for an arts and cultural organisation, and especially an Indigenous one, it's a really significant milestone, the fact that um, we're still here, we're still operating. We've had highs and lows as an organisation, as any organisation does, but since being here at Federation Square, we've just gone from strength to strength, and that's recognised in the support, the fantastic support, I must say, that we get from the City of Melbourne, that we get from the State Government, but also from the Federal Government as well. Also, I have to acknowledge the fantastic support we get from Federation Square and the partnership opportunities that we have. But at the same time, our supporter base from the community here in Victoria has just grown. So we get great philanthropic support from our um, various trusts and foundations that we have um, here in Victoria, but also from all of our donors, the people that give individually to the trust as well. I want to change gear slightly. 2020? We're talking about a range of important themes. One of them, treaty, recognition, uh, justice and reconciliation. What does the year 2020 and the treaty discussion mean for you and for the Career Heritage Trust? I think treaty in Victoria, it's a very important time and it's significant that we're actually taking the lead in this in terms of recognising the fact that you actually do have a contemporary Victorian Aboriginal community that has survived and that will continue to survive into the future. I think for us at the Koori Heritage Trust, the opportunity actually exists for us creating this standalone cultural centre is that we become the sort of bricks and mortar representation of what treaty represents in Victoria. Um, And we would like to actually see ourselves very much as part of that physical representation of what treaty can be throughout the state and for us we can actually then develop more of our cultural programs that can represent promote and celebrate victorian aboriginal communities and people 2020 is a is a watershed year and and globally there's a, a conversation about you know the continuing impact of current and historical racism and more recently that's been given voice through the black lives matter movement It's an interesting observation, I suppose, from my perspective that it's the universality of these impacts around the world that means it's resonated simultaneously almost, different in every country and yet really the same issue. What does that mean for the Curry Heritage Trust today? I think for the trust, not even the trust, I think for Indigenous Australians, we've all heard about Black Lives Matter um, and it's been very much something coming out of the US As you say, it does, though, resonate across the world, wherever you have Indigenous communities, and especially here in Australia where you have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, where we do still face a much higher incarceration rate, where you do have black deaths in custody. So it's very much something that resonates here in Australia and that we as Australians should all be aware of and be very much working towards... It's not a matter of saying that it's an American thing, that we don't have racism in Australia, which I have heard, 
um, and even from political leaders as well, that um, when Australia is not a racist country. At the end of the day, I mean, you look at the history of um, Indigenous Australia um, or just the history of Australia and you still look at it today and you see racism in our community, even living in Melbourne, which I would like to think is the cultural capital of Australia. I, as a black person, I still experience and feel being black in this community. I think for myself as an um, Indigenous person, but also for the Koori Heritage Trust, for us it is very much about making sure that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are presented as very much a part of the community, that people need to recognise that we're a part of the community, but also that we are the first nation, the first traditional custodians of this country. One of the things also around Black Lives Matters is this thing about all lives matters. And it's really, and it's not denying that all, all lives matters. Of course, that, um, uh, that goes without saying. But recognising that Black Lives Matters also recognises the fact that black people actually do still face a level of discrimination that isn't the same as your non-Indigenous person. I was actually watching a television program um, the other day and it was looking at a black mother, and this was an American um, series, um, a black mother trying to explain to her five-year-old son who'd just been pulled up by the school principal for having supposedly hit a non-black kid, whereas, I mean, the non-black kid was the one at fault, but she had to actually say to him, you know, as a, you have to be aware that your skin colour, you are a different skin colour, and because of that, you have to make sure that you have to be very much more aware than anybody else about how you act, how you behave, because your skin colour will always be what people see first. And I think that's one of the key things about this Black Lives Matter as opposed to All Lives Matter, that people actually see your black skin first and especially black men. I suppose what you're talking about is really not starting from a point of equivalency but actually the cumulative impact of systemic disadvantage and racism, a gap that's yet to be redressed. Exactly, exactly. And I, th- I think what you've just said puts it very, very much in context of what we're trying to do at the Koori Heritage Trust, which is about addressing that gap and trying to build that gap and the lack of knowledge and understanding. So if we're looking at, say, our education programs that we have at the Trust, our tours along the river, building cultural awareness training, it is very much about building that and educating people as to the difference and trying to build that gap between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. The Trust has a a very strong uh, outreach and, and education program. Where do you see it? fitting and what are your ambitions? Well, I think in terms of the programs we run, it's very much about educating the community about Victorian Aboriginal communities and culture, but also about recognising that there is this long history of really bad things happening to our communities. By recognising that, you can actually then see why we have high levels of incarceration, why you have disadvantages in our communities. Um, These are all the things, the gaps that we need to actually build together. People 
tend to think that there's always handouts to Indigenous communities. The fact remains that you actually still have a very disadvantaged community compared to the non-Indigenous community. And I think there's a real need for the education of the broader community around why we have come to this point and for us to actually work together to move forward. So continuing with that theme of education, I often see uh, lots of school children coming and, and going into the Career Heritage Trust. What are they experiencing? What are they gaining? For schools coming into the Trust, it is very much about, in a sense, capturing them, um, capturing kids when they're young, where we can actually start putting into place new ways of thinking and new ways of behaving to be able to move forward when they move forward into their adult life. For them coming in, it is about educating them in a way that is sensitive and that is actually showing to them, look, you know, there is this history that we've, we have in this country that we all have to face and recognise And by doing that, that is the first step towards reconciling and to building that gap between the Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities here um, in this country. And so it's actually trying to educate our kids when they're young so that um, as they grow, they're actually much more aware of all of these issues that we're facing. Let's talk about cultural awareness training. You know, on coming to Fed Square, I was... A little surprised that we, as an organisation, hadn't already gone down the path of a reconciliation action plan, and that's on my agenda. That's a real deficiency. Cultural awareness and and RAPs, how do you see their place and their value for organisations? I mean, for me, it's always a... It's not a hard question for me to answer, but it's something that I like to actually turn back on to the organisation as well because this question of reconciliation, there's a, there's a particular view in the Indigenous community that it's not for us to reconcile, it's for um, the non-Indigenous community to reconcile with us. So if I ask you that question, I mean, you're saying to me, this is what you wish to develop, you want to do a wrap plan, what is it? Why do you think you need to do that? Are you doing it because it's part of what government is saying? I think that's a, uh, an excellent question. And, in fact, no sooner had I posed it that it occurred to me that this was going the wrong way. It is for us as an organisation with ambitions to be inclusive and diverse uh, and, and contemporary and to, to, to step through and over deficit, you know, to get to a point of... Know, mutual recognition and equality, that we, we need a reconciliation action plan for that journey. And the more I look at it, the longer that journey is, but the more important that journey is. And so, no, it's not, it shouldn't be because it's a box. It shouldn't be because it's a requirement. It shouldn't be, you know, for, for social licence and acceptance. It should be because as an organisation, we can't be what we need to be without a wrap, and that is custodians of a place which is inclusive and all-encompassing of the stories of, uh, you know, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia and the world, that we can't do that without our, our First Nations brothers and sisters, both within our organisation but as clients and as partners. That's a terrific question and you're right to point it out and I was surprised that this path this journey had not already commenced because I look around and I have, you know, one can see deep Indigenous themes and presence and significance in 
not just the piece of land we're sitting on, but also even the architectural theme and the cultural uh, practices and legacies. I think what you've actually said really, it resonates. And the reason I'm asking, I ask you that question and what I said before, it is, if I'm being cynical about the entire process, it does become a tick box exercise for a lot of organisation. Everybody has a reconciliation action plan. You're seen or you want to be seen as if you're doing something, but it's actually in the doing as opposed to having a plan. It's actually making sure you have a you implement the plan and you have positive outcomes that come out of it. So for me, when I look at reconciliation action plan, it is about Indigenous employment. It is about recognising also that it's not just about Indigenous employment coming in, and I'm talking generally when I look at sort of some of the big corporates that have and put in Reconciliation Action Plan, it's not just about setting up traineeships. It's about employing Aboriginal people, um, Indigenous people at all levels from your trainee up to your senior managers, your CEO, and having them sitting also at board level. Corporates, organisations that have, that talk about reconciliation, but you look at their board and their board invariably white, middle class males. And I think that if you're serious about reconciliation and your reconciliation action plan, it needs to be from top down, not from bottom up. COVID-19, 2020, crazy, crazy year for all of us in the business of people, events and gathering. What has it meant for the Koori Heritage Trust? A week before we actually closed our doors, I mean, it was a real time of uncertainty internally with um, staff, but also in terms of looking at our programming, how we actually engage with our visitors. So it was a real time of uncertainty, even fear. And so for us, it was a real time of how we're going to actually survive this as an organisation. Fortunately, we quickly um, tapped into, okay, let's start looking at online. This is the real opportunity for us to actually explore new ways of doing things online using digital technology. And um, we really started to look at that and focus on that. One of the really important things we did during this time was to actually to start collecting the stories of our community going through the closure, how to, or their isolation, and we're calling that KHT Voices. And those voices are on our website, but it will become, I believe, a very important historical record of this time, especially given that the voice that we are hearing is non-Indigenous. No one's capturing that Indigenous voice. And so for us, it is really about capturing that voice of our people for future generations. So Tom, having weathered the COVID-19 closure, you've reopened. What can visitors expect to see? Uh, we opened on Monday the 6th of July. Uh, we're very excited to be open again to the public. We're obviously very conscious of our responsibility to our visitors in terms of keeping people safe, but also to our staff as well. So if you're coming into the Koori Heritage Trust, we do have hand sanitizer stations. Um, we have signage. We are limiting um, visitors to 20 
maximum in the building at any one time. So we will actually be keeping a record of the number of visitors coming through as well as the record of names of people coming through as we're required to do because of contact tracing. Our current exhibition is Affirmation. It's a photography show, fantastic exhibition for female artists showing their connection to country and their connection to their identity. They're four very different artists in terms of their works, Um, but it's very interesting. It's a beautiful show, so I really encourage people to come in. We also still have our collection display open and available for viewing as well. At the moment, unfortunately, we cannot offer guided tours, physical tours, as we normally would. We still have our online program happening and I still very much encourage people to actually visit our website and to have a look at our KHT online webpage especially where you'll see a lot of um, online programming. In addition to cultural custodians and storytellers, you're also a custodian for family uh, information and data. Do you want to talk about that role? Well, it's more um, we have a family history service and The Family History Service is very much about connecting members of the stolen generation back to family and back to community. So it is genealogical research. People uh, contact the Family History Service and we then do the work required in relation to connecting our clients back to their family and community. So it is very much about researching family history. It's a very important one. And like I said, it comes out of the stolen generation and the apology that happened. And it is very much about reconnecting people back to communities. Tom, I've, I personally have found uh, working with you in, in the short time I've been here a real highlight. And, uh, and I want to thank you for that opportunity. And I look forward to working with you and the KHT to, to fully flesh out and fully build uh, your ability to tell stories here at... Federation Square. Thank you, Xavier, because as the Koori Heritage Trust, as the Indigenous organisation here, I think we do have a very important role to play and to contribute to what your ambition is for the Square. Working with Federation Square, working with ACME, working with NGV, I look forward especially to the day where we can actually start to get mass gatherings again because I do know things like the NAIDOC Week March, they do end up here at the Square. There is usually a concert on on the main stage. I think that type of gathering, having a community heart and a community hub like Federation Square is very important to the city and to have that Indigenous presence and Indigenous communities being able to use the square in that sense as well I think becomes very important and I look very much forward to working with you in actually getting ourselves back to that place if it happens, when it happens actually, not if, when it happens again. When it happens. Uh, We will open again and we will jump again. Mm -hmm. I look forward to it. Thank you, Tom. New episodes of Anything But Square are released every Wednesday and we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to our newsletter at fedsquare.com. Take care and we'll see you next Wednesday.